you want to go ahead and open your Bibles uh, to Romans, um, that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Um, between Romans 5, Romans 8, Romans 15. We'll take a look at maybe one or two other passages outside the book. Um, but as Blake said, his songs were, were focused on, on hope and what we look forward to, um, primarily because that's uh, the topic for the lesson today. Um, I know there's a class on, on Romans going on during the week. I'm not attempting to address Romans, the book, or its purpose, but really just look at what Paul had to say about hope in Romans. When you, when you look for the books in the Bible that talk about the word hope, um, it's interesting what you see. Psalms make sense, but then you have Job and Romans that mention hope the most um, of the rest of the books. So you don't think of, I don't think of Job as a hopeful book. Um, and I really don't really think of Romans a lot about hope. I think more about conviction and, and understanding sin and those kinds of things. But Romans does have a lot to say about hope. So my purpose here is very tangible. Uh, it's not just kind of intellectual, um, you know, in spite of the topic being hope, which is something, you know, addressing the intangible. Um, what I hope that you'll take away today is that hope is something you, you need to work on. Um, it's not something that happens. It's not, it's not like the world's hope. I hope that's a distinction we can draw. Um, the difference between the, world, the way the world uses that thought and the way God uses it. Um, the only differences, you know, are the, the only similarity, I guess, that I could come up with is that you know, there's an object to be obtained. Right? There's something I want that I don't have. That's, about, that's where the similarities end between the world's hope and God's hope. Um, the hope of the world is fickle. You know, it changes from day to day. Um, one day I hope for this, the next day I hope for that. It's empty. There's, 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 no, there's nothing I have to effect it. You know, I hope it doesn't rain. Well, that's great. What are you going to do about that? Why do you, what reason do you have to even hope for that? Well, I don't. I just know it doesn't rain every day, so maybe this day, right? Um, but the hope offered by God is solid, and it's powerful. Um, it is something that we can trust in and grab, grab hold of, and I hope we can see that today. So we're going to talk about three aspects of hope. Um, the path to hope in Romans 5. There is actually a way to get to hope. Um, the nature of hope in Romans 8 and the source of hope in Romans 15. And again, what I hope that you'll take away from this is not just, yeah, I, I know what hope is. It's great. But you'll actually go out into your life and say, all right, I'm going to look at things in happening in my life and things that I'm engaging in as ways to increase my hope, right? So let's look in Romans 5. I'm going to read uh, the first, first five verses of Romans 5. And it's a therefore statement. We're not going to talk about the first four chapters to build up to this. We're just going to, I'll address them a little bit. But he starts with therefore in, in, in verse 1. So there's something he's basing this on. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction 
by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So he mentions hope several times there, but there's this interesting statement. Um, we exult in hope of the glory of God at the end of verse 2. Well, that's, that sounds great, right? Well, but, you know, hold the Bible up like a mirror to yourself. Is that true? Exult to uh, rejoice, right? Do you rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? Paul, Paul makes this as a statement. He doesn't ask the question, right? And then he gives this formula or, or maybe path to get there. How does that happen? Right? And he says, well, not only do we exult in, in the hope, but we exult in our tribulations. Why? And then he says, because tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. I don't know about you, but to me that just does not make sense. I would not have said the path to hope involves tribulation. Starts with tribulation at all. I would not have said the path to hope has perseverance involved. Right? When I think of hope, I think of, you know, butterflies and peaceful things and quiet. And, you know, hope is something, right, to, to bring peace. And I think that's true. But what's fascinating is the path to get to hope. The hope of the Bible is not through butterflies and rainbows and right it actually starts with tribulation um, so I want to talk about about this path first and how this could or might make sense to us how we can get to the point of actually rejoicing in hope because it's not something that I just I just do naturally oh I'm so happy because of the hope that I have Right? Usually I'm happy because I wake up and I'm having a good day. I'm not in pain, you know, or whatever, right? That's my rejoicing. Paul is saying what should define us, or at least be an aspect of our lives, is that we're rejoicing in the hope that we have. So let's look at this path. I understand the first two steps. I get how tribulation leads to perseverance. That part makes sense, right? Um. And then how tribulation, I'm sorry, how, how perseverance then leads to proven character. Those first two steps from one to two, two to three, I get that. Right? That makes sense. But then how do you jump to hope? Uh, I, I have a, a suggestion. Right? I'm, this is not something that I think is, is absolute. But I think tribulation tells us, like when we experience tribulation, and by tribulation I'm, I include trials, temptations, right? Not just like, you know, I stubbed my toe. Well, what is that telling me about my existence? I mean like spiritual, right, tribulation. It tells us that we don't fit here. It's, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to use the word because it's not absolutely true, but it, it's sort of unnatural, like we don't, we don't match. In the absolute sense of the word, it's totally natural, right? It's nature. But there, there's something about, if, if I'm having tribulation, if there's some kind of conflict, something's not fitting. Like, I'm a, I'm a square peg, and this is a round hole that the world is shoving me through. Right? Well, if we don't fit here, then there must be a there where we do fit. 
If you're created, there's a there where you do fit. Right? We're not just products of chance. So I think tribulation kickstarts the idea of hope. I don't fit here. I don't fit in this. These surroundings, these spiritual surroundings. All of this thing going on doesn't, right, match with what I've been created to be. And again, we're not talking from the perspective of a human being, a philosophical. We're talking from the perspective of a Christian. I have God's word. I believe God's word. And I'm suffering tribulation. Right? Well, you don't fit. That's why. So, I think it tells us something is amiss. There's something off. Right? If I'm, if I'm having tribulation, spiritual trials, some, something's off. Something's amiss. Um, we're not created for hate, vanity, and worthlessness. But we're surrounded by that. It's everywhere. Right? But we're not created for that, and we know that. Well, that means we're created for, for something else. So tribulation is kind of like this wake-up call. It's... And, and I, I don't mean to say, like, every single tribulation you have, you're supposed to start all the way back at the beginning and you start asking, why am I here and why am I facing tribulation? I just think that's the rule that Paul is perhaps using it here when he gives this path to hope, right? Every, every tribulation, you could say this for the Christian, is supposed to remind you of the path. Not just go all the way back to the beginning and say, all right, I'm facing tribulation, I've got to start all over and work my way to hope. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. And I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I think what he's saying is also it should remind you of the path that you've been walking and the path that you're on, right? And the hope that you have built. That's the role that tribulation could play. Is just to tell you that you don't fit here. And there's another. Now what about perseverance? I think perseverance is the result of living out that conviction. Right? Tribulation tells you the fact. You don't fit here. Perseverance is when you accept that and you say, all right, I'm going to live like that's true. Which means I'm not going to live by hate, even though I'm surrounded by it. And that's a trial. I'm not going to return hate for hate, right? I'm not going to live in vanity. I'm not going to pursue vain things, right? Worthless things, powerless things, because I've been created for love. I've been creating for something real, not vain. I've been created for something powerful, right? not worthless, something of value. So perseverance is a result of living out that conviction, the conviction that this is true. I'm not going to allow tribulation to bend me to its will. That's perseverance. Right? The tribulation comes and it comes and it comes. And you either, right, well, what's, what's a famous saying in the world? It's bend but don't break. Well, I think in Scripture it's more don't bend. Rocks don't bend. Right? We're not, and, and, and what I mean by that is we don't compromise truth. We don't compromise character because of tribulation. We don't bend to the tribulation. That's perseverance. Um... Perseverance is saying, I will live true to my design in spite of all of the tribulation that I'm facing. Perseverance is the practice of living true life, not just existing. 
right? And, and th actually, this came up in our class this morning about what it means to really live life to the full. In the world, the meaning of living life to the full really is just existing. It's not grabbing hold of what's true, life. Because you're, you're living for this world. This world is vain and passing away. And you've invested everything in that, things that are vain and passing away. You grab onto those things, and then, right, when they pass away, you pass away with them. Right? Perseverance says, no, I'm going to live true life. I'm going to hold on to my design for my creator. And I'm talking about spiritually, right? You've been designed for love. You've been designed for value. You've been designed for glory and power. And in spite of the tribulations, you say, no, I'm going to live as though I am designed for those things. That's true life. That's real life. Because when this world passes away, the things that you've grabbed onto from God are still there. And so are you. Still alive. That's perseverance. Right? Proven character, I would suggest, is the proof. Right? And I know I'm using a word to define a word. But the proven character you have at the end of all of this perseverance, right? Or maybe not the end. The proven character that's developing and growing in you through perseverance is proof that what you're doing, what you believe, what you've held on to is actually true. Otherwise, the world would just destroy you. You would lose that battle if it wasn't true. You're not more powerful than the world as a single entity, right? But when you persevere through the things that this world throws at you, spiritually, right? And you do develop this perseverance and this proven character because of perseverance. And you say, hey, you know what? I'm still here and actually I'm stronger. I'm more able to hold on to these things that are real. I have proven character. This is true. Not necessarily to say that the trials are always easy, right? But the decision in your head is not always like, Oh, gee, I'm in a crisis. What do I have to do? It's more, nope, I'm going through another tribulation. I know what I have to do. You see the difference, right? The immature says is, is in crisis state. I and mean, we all have crises. I mean, humans have crises, right? The first time you go through a very severe trial, it's a crisis. And you're deciding, what am I going to do about this crisis? Who am I, right, in my response to this? The more mature, right, after you've persevered and you've, you've generated some proven character, when the tribulation comes, right, you're not in crisis mode. You know who you are already. You already know what perseverance is. So what does all of this have to do with hope, right? I mean, like I said, I think these, these paths make sense, right, until you, get to, until you get to hope. I think when you have this proven character, you actually arrive at a place where hope is inevitable, it's inevitable. And here's what I mean by that. You've chosen to persevere through these tribulations, through these trials. It has gotten you to a point of proven character where you say, I actually know that there is a there where I do fit. Because I have proven character in, this sur in these surroundings of tribulation, in these surroundings of hate, worthlessness, vanity, whatever, I have managed to persevere through these things and have proven to myself, right, that I don't fit here. Nor do I have to fit here. 
and the next step, nor should I fit here. And then, like I said, hope is inevitable at that point, right? And I'm not saying we have to dream up some place where we do fit. The scripture tells us, right, there is a place where we do fit. In heaven. With the glory of God. The glory he bestows on us, right? As we read about in Romans 5. We exult in hope of the glory of God. Not just of seeing his glory and being in his glory, but receiving from him the glory that he designed us to hold. I think when, when you face these tribulations and push through and push through and push through and develop perseverance and proven character, hope is inevitable. And that's a good thing. Because now you're standing in a place where you say, even though I can't see it, and that's what we're about to talk about in Romans 8, the nature of hope. Even though I can't see it, I know there's a place where I fit. Because I've held on to the things of God and the world has not destroyed me. Right? Spiritually, we're not talking about the world burning your house down. The world can burn your house down. That doesn't destroy you. Right? That's not you. The world can do all kinds of things to your body. That's not you. Right? Let's look in Romans, Romans 8 now. The nature of hope. And I, and I mentioned it all, all, already. You know, so if, if, if Romans 5 tells us we get to hope by this thing, all right, you know what? I am going through tribulations. I am persevering. And I am starting to see some evidence of this proven character. All right, well, so hope is, this hope is something that's done, right? I have it. End in, in of story, right? Well, that's not the nature of hope, right? Yes, you can have this hope, but what is hope? If you look in Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25... I'm not going to read the whole reading that we had this morning, but I wanted to read it in context. Romans 8, 24 and 25 says, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. If I can lay my eyes on it, there's no hope involved. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, let me see perseverance again, we wait eagerly for it. I think this is perhaps the aspect of salvation that most people trip over. Right? Look, look in verse 24. In hope we have been saved. It's one of those paradoxes. I have been saved. Right? I, I own it. How? In hope. In hope I've been saved. There's an aspect of salvation that I don't see. Right? Even though I've been saved. There's an aspect I don't see. Look, look up just a couple of verses there in Romans 8. And again, this is part of our reading this morning. If we have been saved, right, what are we hoping for? Look in Romans in, in verses 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of of our body. If, if you don't know what Paul's talking about, just spend some time in meditation. I just think this is part of the human condition. You groan. You groan. You groan because of temptations. You, you, you groan because of inability, right? To achieve something that you want to achieve. You groan because the love shown isn't returned. 
We groan for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. We have been saved. This is what we're still hoping for. The, the finalizing of the papers, right? You know, you think about an adoption, right? A parents decide they want to adopt the child. The child's happy, right? Well, the adoption is not done. They're both groaning, right? The parents and the child are waiting for this all to be over. Paper's done, you know. The child belongs to the parents. Well, just because the decision's been made, right, doesn't mean that that process is finished. We've been saved, right? The adoption has not been finished. This is where I want to look outside the Romans just real quickly. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. More about this groaning. I think Paul describes it here again in, in, or in another place, not necessarily again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. For we know that the earthly tent, which is our house, for, for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, he's talking about our bodies, right, in this context. If it's torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Sometimes we can't put a finger on the groaning. We just know we're groaning, right? Well, Paul, I think what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 5 is the base of that groaning, the foundation of that groaning is you want to be immortal. And, and everything that's involved in that, not just like, I, not, I don't want to die. But to be with God in the house he prepared for you in eternity. That's what you're really groaning for. And I'm not telling you this because I know you. We have visitors here that... I mean, I don't know them as well as I know any of you. And I would say this is still true because this is what God says about us. We groan to be immortal. You know that this groaning is, even if you've never thought about it this way, right? You've experienced it. I think it's healthy to meditate on the fact that you do groan and what you groan over. And think about these passages, 2 Corinthians 5 and Romans 8. That's the nature of hope. That's part of the tribulation is the groaning, right? I mean, you could just say it that way. All of the tribulations are just us groaning, right? God has a plan. The reason you're groaning is there's a place where you do fit. There's a new house he has ready to clothe you with so that that groaning will be over. We haven't been clothed yet, as he, as he says in 2 Corinthians 5, but we hope and eagerly wait to be clothed in that building from God, eternal in the heavens. This is the nature of hope, right? Expectantly waiting for that which we haven't seen. Not just, when I flip this coin, I hope it lands on heads. That has nothing to do with the hope we're talking about. This is an expectation. Not like I expect because God you owe me, but God you promised, so I expect. And I look forward to it. 
That's the kind of hope we're talking about. It's real. It's something to hold on to. It's not just air, right? Let's, let's turn over and look at our final point in Romans chapter 15. The source of hope. We've seen this path and how it arrives at hope. Tribulation, perseverance, proven character. The result is, in, in my opinion, an inevitable hope. The nature of hope is, okay, I have this hope, but what I'm hoping for is something I don't see. Now, where's the source? Look in Romans 15, verse 13. This is, a, as Paul's closing out the letter, he has this prayer or this desire. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no hope apart from God. There's only the worldly kind of hope. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope I don't stub my toe in the dark. Right? There's no hope with any meat to it apart from God. I mean, you could say, well, I hope the sun rises tomorrow. Well, who, who made their sun rise? Right? God didn't make the sun rise. There'd be no point of hoping in that. If God hadn't made natural laws repeatable, there'd be no reason to hope that we'd have gravity when we walked out of this room. None. Without him, there's no such thing as real hope. And Paul titles him the God of hope. We have a path, and he is the God of hope. So what good are the perseverance and proven character without promises made with power? They're not, they're not good at all. He has made those promises. His request for them in this, I, I'm calling it a prayer, is for them to be filled with all joy and peace in believing, not imagining. Did you notice that? In believing, right? Some truth has been displayed. Now you believe that truth, and that brings you joy and peace. Not because you're imagining something that you have no foundation for. That's worldly hope. I imagine somebody showing up at my door with a billion dollars and just handing it to me. What good is that hope? How many times has that happened to you in your life? How many of your neighbors? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You, you, I'm, I'm picking something absurd to show the point, right? Hope is founded on something that's real, not something that's a desire, right? Desires don't inform hope. Reality informs hope. A hope based on a desire is a worldly hope. This is, he is the God of hope. It is real. His purpose for them, look at the, this is why I want you to be filled with these things, so that they would abound in hope. Paul is always circular. I don't know why he does this. He goes in circles. I ask the God of hope, right, to fill you with joy and peace and believing so that you'll abound in hope. And he goes right back to hope. The thing that makes this hope worthwhile and effective, also in this verse, verse 13, is the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you notice how the Holy Spirit was in also in chapter 5 and 8 when they talked about hope? <clears throat> Something we can't see. I think the Holy Spirit plays a powerful role 
an unseen role in our hope. Those are all the thoughts I had today from Romans on hope. So I want to summarize. My goal for you is to take particularly the first point, the path to hope, and and chew on that. And think about tribulations when you face them. And I mean spiritual trials. They can be physical tribulations that result in a spiritual trial. Right? That happens all the time. But think about it as, okay, this is a step to me increasing my hope. And then ask yourself, hope in what? Right? Hope in the groaning, right? Going away. All of these things are based on promises from God to his people. So I hope you will examine yourself in light of that and in light of this scripture and say, I am confident based on what I know in scripture and what I see in scripture that I have a reason to hope. Right? And then from that, I'm again appealing to our theme, you will be a light. It's inevitable. A person living in this world in hope You can't help but be a light to the world. So I thank you for your time.